The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday, 24th of August. I'm Abby Patterson, and today we're asking... What's the latest on the scandal that has split Spain? The president of La Liga F, the top flight in the Spanish women's game, she condemned his behaviour and also how he attacked his critics in radio interviews. How's Everton's hunt for investment going? And here we are, we're back at square one. MSP was supposed to be a done deal. And our Aston Villa back in the groove. Luca Digne's his future's been up in the air recently, but yeah, he had the freedom of the Scottish Highlands down the left side at times. This is the Daily Football Briefing. We start in Spain, where the fallout from the World Cup final continues. By now, you may well have seen the controversial images of Spanish refe president Luis Rubiales kissing forward Jenny Omoso on the lips during the trophy presentation. Rubiales issued a statement on Tuesday apologising to any people who felt hurt by the incident. He faces calls to resign with a meeting on the matter due to take place on Friday. As for Hermoso's voice in all this, she has released a statement through the Spanish Women's Players Union, FootPro, and her agency, TMJ, which stated that the two entities are taking care of defending my interests and being the intermediaries on this subject. It should also be noted that the refe president grabbed his crotch during the final whistle celebrations while sat in the VIP seats just along from Queen Letitia and her 16-year-old daughter, Sofia. Pat Jennings is our Spanish editor and is across the escalating scandal – Pat, Luis Rubiales clearly expected this story to go away. It hasn't. What's the latest? No, it hasn't gone away. And Dermot Corrigan's report on the Athletic website does a very good job of explaining the recent controversies that Rubiales has been able to survive since being elected Spanish FA president in 2018 and why he might well have expected to once again ride things out. But the difference here is the stage and the scale of the reaction to his behaviour on Sunday. The reaction has been very powerful. There's been huge international scrutiny on what's happened. Rubiales is under pressure like never before. Yeah, that is a genuinely brilliant piece from Dermot, filled with statements. Just don't have time to get into today on this show. But returning to you, Pat, what's the reaction like in Spain? Spain's Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez is the most powerful individual to have reacted. He described Rubiales' apology video on Monday as not sufficient. Uh, In the video, Rubiales essentially said, you know, I'm sorry if you were offended. The president of La Liga F, the top flight in the Spanish women's game, she condemned his behaviour and also how he attacked his critics in radio interviews. Uh, he said idiots are everywhere, for example. There's been much more condemnation among left-leaning politicians, but a spokesperson for the centre-right Pepe party did comment on Wednesday too, while the hard-right Vox party, whose growing power was checked at recent elections, haven't said anything. In the men's game, meanwhile, Barca and Real Madrid were among the clubs today preferring not really to say anything apart from that they're waiting for the outcome of a Spanish FA meeting that's being held on Friday. But the president of Getafe did call on Rubiales to resign. So what happens next? Can Rubiales survive this? There are various different complicated administrative mechanisms by which Rubiales could be suspended or removed from its position. Friday's Spanish FA meeting isn't really being held to discuss the issue with any serious scrutiny. and Instead, it's expected to give him an opportunity to try and, I guess, perform a new apology that will help him stay in his role. The Athletic has been told Rubiales doesn't intend to resign at this stage. And the government powers that could intervene have also said they prefer to wait to see what happens on Friday and how the Spanish FA's own process concludes. So despite all the noise and despite 
what we all saw on Sunday, uh, Rubiales could well survive because he survived this far already. That's another shocking thing about everything that's happened. And The Athletic will continue to be across this developing story. To Merseyside, where things are going from bad to worse for Everton fans. On the pitch, Everton have lost two from two, conceding five and failing to score. Off the pitch, it may be even worse. Some much hoped for and desperately needed investment looks like it may not be received after MSP Sports Capital withdrew from talks about taking a minority stake in the club. The group from New York was set to invest up to £150 million in return for a stake of around 25%. It's all quite complicated, so no person better to explain it all than Matt Slater, who has the story. Matt, what's happened? Well, a a deal that Everton owner Farhad Mashiri has been working on for months, most of this year in fact, has collapsed. MSB Capital, a New York-based sports investment fund, were going to lend money to both Everton, the football club, and Everton Stadium Company, the, the, the subsidiary that's been set up to, to build a new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock. And this money, up to £150 million, was going to be in convertible debt, was going to be basically a loan with warrants that could convert into equity. And this was going to give MSP a stake of up to 25% in the club and provide crucial £100 million toward the stadium build, which still needs another 360 million or so to complete. It was then going to give confidence to further lenders, basically JP Morgan and a Japanese bank. But as well as the stadium, it was also going to provide much needed working capital for the club, which has been losing money for years, as everyone knows, is facing a a Premier League independent investigation over overspending, and is just right up against it in terms of FFP, has been through two relegation battles, is facing a third, and badly needs some money. They've, um, they've only spent one transfer fee, they've only brought in, I think, three players. So this, this money is badly needed, and it's not now going to arrive. Now, MSP had an exclusivity period. It's up, the deal is dead. They're still going to make the loan to the stadium development company, but they are not going to do the equity deal. It's just going to be a straightforward commercial loan. That means the Everton Football Club side of it, they're, they're, they're short of cash. They're still, they still face the same cash flow problems and Mashiri still faces the same funding deficit in terms of the stadium code. So this is, um, this is very concerning. So there's a lot there. Should Everton fans be worried? Yes, I, I, I would argue they should be worried because these efforts to bring funding both in to complete the stadium, total cost of that has ballooned, you know, as many people expected, from about 500 million to 760 million. And, and I think many people expected to go a bit higher. So there is a big shortfall. Farhad Bashiri himself has shelled out 400 million, but he cannot spend any more. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, Everton's access to his business partner, Alicia Usmanov's money, has completely dried up. Usmanov got put on the sanctions list which meant the naming rights deal went away, when it meant a couple of big sponsorships that Everton had had to be dropped. Shiri's money's tied up. Everton have been out in the market looking for money for a long, long time, looking for investors. And here we are, we're back at square one. MSP was supposed to be a done deal at the beginning of the summer. The money was there. They announced it to the New York Stock Exchange. They were going to get seats on the board. They were going to get this stake in the club. 
that's off. And it's off because one of Everton's existing lenders, who Everton uh, are on the hook for for about 200 million, didn't has has what is known as a negative pledge has has security themselves on Everton assets and and didn't want to give that up um you know understandably so given Everton's losses and plight so yeah these are worrying times for Everton Mashiri's going to have to go back out there and find more money and fast well, make sure you stick to The Athletic for a longer read on the travails of Everton Football Club. You can get a subscription by heading to theathletic.com forward slash briefing if you've not already got one. You're listening to The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Well, let's end by talking about some actual football then. Wednesday night saw Aston Villa's journey in the Europa Conference League get underway as they travelled to Edinburgh to face Hibs in their first playoff leg. It all went rather well for the Premier League side. A 5-0 win at Easter Road, a hat-trick for Ollie Watkins, three assists for Luca Dean, a clean sheet, and they look well on their way to getting their name into the group stages. Jacob Tanswell is the Athletics' Aston Villa reporter and was watching on for us. Jacob, was it as easy as the scoreline suggests? Yeah, it was pretty easy and, and Villa didn't really have to get out of, of second gear really in truth. They had a few sloppy moments in the first half, but yeah, Hibernian were, were odd in a way because they gave Villa time, but they also gave Villa space and when you give space to the likes of Musa Diaby, Ollie Watkins, they punish you and especially Luca Digne as well. Luca Digne's, his future's been up in the air recently, but yeah, he had the freedom of the Scottish Highlands down that left side at times. It was, it was ridiculous the amount of space he was, he was being afforded and all we would do is he, the ball would get switched out to him, he get his head up stand and deliver and he, he got three assists you know two for Ollie Watkins who, who scored a hat-trick too and yeah it was a pretty routine win and a pretty comfortable game and this you know second leg to come as well So it seems like Villa have shaken off that opening defeat to Newcastle then was it nine goals in four days? Yeah, I think you're looking back at Sir James and it's a bit of an anomaly. There was a few mitigating factors. You know, you had the two long-term injuries to Tyro Minks and Emi Brendia and that kind of knocked Villa out of sync really because they're in preparations for, for the new season, especially out in the US, things were going quite smoothly. And then obviously, at Sir James's, like many sides, when things start, go against you, you, you can implode. And it was, a, it was an off day, but they've bounced back emphatically, albeit against two sides that are struggling and inferior in quality. But I think in terms of of the quality that Villa are showing themselves they're looking back to their old selves and if they can get a few more players in in the next couple of weeks then yeah they should be fine and in good form. Now Jacob this was a first leg but scoreline allowing let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit will Villa be looking to follow in West Ham's footsteps take the tournament seriously and try and win some silverware? I think we can get ahead of ourselves, Ab. I think even Lee Johnson, Hibs manager, said it would be a miracle to to uh, even bridge the golfing class at Villa Park. It was quite a schism. But um, Unai Emery is a European specialist. He wants to win every competition. He, what is so good is that he knows how to navigate a Thursday, Sunday schedule. He's he's done it five times now. You know, with Sevilla, with Villarreal. So he wants to win every tournament. And his dream, he said it a few a few times already this season, is to get into the Champions League. So he's seen as as, as a route, as a springboard to then and get into other competitions. So he wants to go really deep in this competition and you have to consider Aston Villa one of the favourites. And speaking of Edinburgh teams in Europa Conference League playoff action, oh yes, it's Hearts' turn to have a go. They face Pauk and will be hoping to do slightly better than their City rivals. That's on BBC Sport if you fancy a watch at 7.45pm. And there's more of those Conference League games available to you in America. You can find them on Paramount Plus at 1pm, 2pm or 2.45pm if you wanted that Hearts game. 
Otherwise, you're probably going to have to go in for the Copa Libertadores. That's on BN at 8.30pm. It's Fluminense in action against Olympia. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Abby Patterson. Your executive producer was Ian McIntosh. And if you like what you've heard, make sure you're following the Daily Football Briefing on your podcast app and do leave a review whilst you're there. I'll be with you again tomorrow. Until then, have a great day. The Athletic.